Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 447. All right, guys, welcome to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support new trauma therapists just starting out on their trauma-informed journey. I do that through this podcast and my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0. If you're a therapist of any kind interested in learning about trauma and you're looking for support and inspiration, I invite you to check out Trauma Therapist 2.0 by going to traumatherapist2.com. That's traumatherapist, the number two, dot com. All right, let's get started. This episode is sponsored by cptsdfoundation.org. And one of the great things about uh, for me about doing this podcast is that I get to speak to and work with amazing people. And Athena Moberg, the CEO and founder of cptsdfoundation.org is one of those individuals. This woman is on fire. I got to meet her several months ago here in San Francisco. We had breakfast together and just had a really great talk. And I got to learn about her foundation and what they're doing. Uh, they provide complex trauma survivors and practitioners with compassionate support skills, and trauma-informed education. Athena works together with expert practitioners and treatment centers offering daily touch points to anyone currently in trauma therapy or who wants a safe place to come, feel heard and validated between therapy appointments. Some of the resources they offer are daily recovery support, a healing book club, they have free support groups. Uh, they offer also offer this really cool thing where they can uh, send you texts just to encourage you and help you heal on your journey. So check them out at cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. Once again, that's cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. Uh, very excited to be continuing this series on managing uh, in the current outbreak with Pat Ogden. Pat, welcome once again. Thank you, Guy. Pleasure All right. So Pat is a pioneer in somatic psychology and both founder and education director of Sensory Motor Psychotherapy Institute, an internationally recognized school specializing in somatic cognitive approaches for the treatment of PTSD and attachment disturbances. She's a co-founder of the Hakomi Institute, a clinician, consultant, international lecturer and trainer, and first author of Trauma and the Body, a sensory motor approach to psychotherapy. Her second book, Sensory Motor Psychotherapy, Interventions for Trauma and Attachment, is a practical guide to integrate sensory motor psychotherapy into treatment of trauma and attachment issues. All right, Pat. So um, well, let's start off here. How are you doing? I mean, I'm, I, I, just to set the context, we are right in the midst of uh, COVID, everyone's managing, trying to manage, but um, so I just want to see how, how, ask how you're doing. Personally, how I'm doing? <laughs> That's a big question. Uh, I think like everybody, um, there's a lot of stress with this pandemic. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, and I'm feeling it too. I think I've really had to up my self-care in order to manage it, which means long hikes every day. But, you know, I'm one of the fortunate people who lives close to the Rocky Mountains in Boulder, Colorado, so I can get out to the wilderness. And I right. find that very resourcing. Um, 
And yeah. when you say when you say up your self care, does that mean doing more hikes or more things? Yeah, people people are curious about how what you do too. <laughs> For me, it means uh, doing more hikes, uh, playing more music, um, uh, making sure that I don't read the news before bed, putting myself on a bit of a a diet with the news and the media. It also means um, staying really connected with friends and family. So I have Zoom tea time, cocktail hour meals. Uh, my stepdaughter and I even watch movies together over Zoom. So really trying to keep that social connection because while we need physical physical distance, we're wired to connect. And I think for many of us, there's a lot of grief around not being able to connect. Right, right. With others. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So let's, if we can, um, start with kind of a macro, a broad uh, perspective here. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in how you're perceiving this uh, pandemic in a, in a broad general way. And then let's kind of dial it in to talk more about how uh, maybe it's affecting individuals or how you see it possibly potentially impacting individuals and and therapists and so forth, if we could start there. So um, what is your perception in terms of how it's impacting us globally? Again, that's a pretty big question. And one of the things that I'm very aware of is, although many call this pandemic the great equalizer because it doesn't respect differences, it will anybody who contracts the virus, you know, is is deeply affected. However, I think it's also really exposed the inequities in our culture in the United States and also globally, because the people who are affected the most are marginalized populations who um, have increased stress anyway and have more uh, uh, comorbid conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure due to a great part because of their marginalized status. So I'm, I'm very aware that there are those of us who are privileged, who have advantages, we have medical care, we can uh, physically distance. Um, when I'm not in danger of losing my home or my job, whereas many, many people, they aren't able to get distance because they live in crowded quarters, they're not able to get medical care, they're having to take out loans to get food for their family. So for them, it's a much bigger trauma than it is for some of us. So in that way, it's not equal at all. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the things I'm really aware of and that I hope globally that this opportunity will be taken to address some of the systemic oppression and how we are not... It's a trauma for all of us, right? It's a global threat to our safety, However, it affects different populations very differently. In terms of, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about, well, as they do with all traumas in a sense, but this one in particular, uh, uh, yes, there are a lot of negative things going on with it and associations, but also opportunities. Where, let's, where do you see this possibly or potentially being an opportunity for us? 
it's opportunities on many levels. Like I just said, on a systemic level, I think that's the biggest opportunity. Um, it's also for many an opportunity to slow down, let the nervous system settle, because there's a lot of time with no agenda, because most of us aren't going to work, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a real opportunity uh, to um, appreciate uh, populations that we don't usually appreciate. Like I'm, I'm thinking of even the people who deliver my food, you know, on Instacart, the people who drive Uber, the medical personnel, of course, and the people who are uh, uh, servicing the hospitals and the facilities. I think that there's an opportunity there that's there's appreciation being shown mm -hmm. um, to, to folks who usually don't get appreciation. Any uh, stress offers opportunities to become resilient. And I think that, that that's also an opportunity. People are learning, hopefully, new ways of coping and drawing on old ways as well. People are learning new ways to stay connected, for example, new ways to regulate arousal and so forth. Mm -hmm. So those are opportunities. And in terms of, uh, you know, getting more specific in how this is affecting the individual and even more specifically uh, therapists and how they're, how they're working, what is your feeling on how uh, this current outbreak is impacting uh, individuals and how therapists can work with them in a sense? One of the things I think about a lot is how to develop resilience, no matter where you fall, for example, on the privilege oppression spectrum. It's an opportunity for all of us to develop resilience, which means uh, to learn to recognize signs of our own dysregulation, like when our arousal starts to rise up or when it starts to drop too low and, and get out of that window of tolerance to be able to recognize those signals inside of ourselves and then do something different. Mm -hmm. I think if there's one skill that I work with myself and also with, with others is to recognize those signals. Um, this is where a, a news diet comes in, like to, to pay attention to your body and recognize when you're watching the news, when you're starting to get panicky and anxious, when your heart rate is starting to go past, or when you start starting to feel numb mm -hmm. and just deadened inside. And, and when you recognize those signs, then you can take some action, um, even if it's as simple as a breath. Um, and and, and this, this is effective for people who are dealing with incredible stress right now. Um, I was talking to a colleague um, in New York who works with uh, in an agency that works with people who are being threatened with loss of job, loss of home, et cetera. And um, we were talking about the importance of, for those people noticing when your arousal goes up and, you know, find something, your hand, a self-touch, uh, getting grounded, some movement, something. And the reason that's so important outside of our own well-being is for our own immunity. We all need to strengthen our immune systems mm -hmm. right now. And stress is really weakens our immune system. 
um, and it's associated with more vulnerability to um, susceptibility to the virus and how it would affect us. So it's it's not just for psychological well-being, it's also for our, our physical well-being that we learn how to find the resources that will help us regulate and therefore become more resilient. It's interesting you mentioned that that news diet. That's really the first thing that I did too. Because when this first hit, I was so I was so anxious. I mean, I'm kind of on the anxiety scale anyway, and I love just keeping up with the news. So here I am now. My wife's out working, and now I've got my two kids at home, four and eleven, and working at home. And I was. I was really going, I was going nuts and I was like, I've got to do something. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. I stopped reading the news mm -hmm. and I just slowed down. And I said, I've, I've got to do something to keep this uh, together because I've got my kids, you know, so I can totally relate to that. What, but it's not always easy, right? It's not always easy to, to have that self-awareness during those times. No, it's not at all. It's a really a skill, I think, that, that all of us have to learn. And, you know, regulation has everything to do with the body. That's where sensory motor psychotherapy really comes in, to recognize the somatic signs of dysregulation in our physiology. Well, let's talk talk more about that. We're... we're sensory motor psychotherapy, SPI, comes into play here. Can you break that down in SPI language of what you're recognizing, how you're paying attention, and so forth? Well, you know, we work with awareness and mindfulness uh, um, to help our clients notice the sensation in the body and to try to catch the signs of their sensation say before it's overwhelming. Because you see, if we can, for example, say we're watching the news or a friend of ours got COVID and we're, we start to feel our, our energy rise. We might feel a heart rate increase. We might feel shoulders go up. We might feel that like held breath, right? And if we can notice those signs before it gets to a like full-blown panic, um, we have a, a chance to intervene, uh, uh, to regulate our nervous system. And that's uh, to, to bring our arousal back into that window of tolerance. And because dysregulation is a physiological phenomenon, not a cognitive phenomenon, some type of physical action, it's different for everybody. That's why we work individually, mm -hmm. we work in groups too, and with couples to... to Find out what helps you regulate. For some, it's a you know, it's a it's self touch, which can be really helpful right now, especially because many people are deprived of the usual physical contact that they might have. Um, for others, it's um, a centering exercise. For others, it's grounding. For others, it's movement and dance, or going for a run or a walk. So we want to help people identify those signs and identify the resources that they can implement right away to before the arousal gets too high. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if, if you're looking at the arousal on a continuum, um, I could imagine where some people might say, well, I only see it or only feel it when it's at a 10, say. Yeah. What is it going to look like when it's at a four or a five? And I know this is general, but... 
Can you give us an example of for what that might look like well, for someone? Yeah, and that's a really good question because that's what we want to help people recognize. Uh, and again, it's different for different people. So I might ask a client um, when they're in a calm, more regulated state to just begin to think of a trigger for them for themselves, whether it was watching the news or you know some other trigger that they have. And when they just start to think about it, what's the first thing that happens? Uh, and many will say, you know, I can feel a little tension in my belly, for example. Because see, it's those first signs that are so mm. critical. Mm-hmm. I was, as you were asking, going through that, I was doing it on myself mm-hmm. and I could feel it. I could feel it. I remember when we had um, wildfires here uh, yeah. in Southern, in California, we're in, I'm in Northern California and they were, the wildfires were just blowing all the smoke and, um, you know, people had to keep their windows shut and we had to wear masks and it was right. almost claustrophobic. Right. And right. I, as you were going through that little exercise, I felt, as I started to think about it, I felt like this, this, this tightness, this, yeah. this yeah. that little That's tinge. Good. All right, guys, just quickly, I want to thank Century Motor Psychotherapy Institute for being a sponsor on this podcast. Do you struggle to help numb, disconnected clients who can't feel emotion or explore inner experience? Learn a comprehensive approach to conceptualize your client's concerns. You know, as someone uh, who's gone through the level one and level two trainings of sensory motor psychotherapy training, I can really speak to the power of this training. Uh, For me, it was a game changer and is so inspiring. Sensory motor psychotherapy uniquely includes the body and therapy as both a source of information and a target for intervention because words are not enough. Go beyond theories and gain practical ways to open a new dimension for effective therapy. Visit Century Motor Psychotherapy Institute online today at sensorymotor.org. That's sensorymotor.org. And you're saying something else really important, Guy, and that's that, you know, we only have one nervous system, but we have lots and lots of traumatic events in our lives, whether it's the wildfires, the car accidents, the falls, the surgeries, the abuse, etc. So this pandemic will trigger habits of of neurological, physiological responses inside of us that are kind of where we go under Mm -hmm. stress. So many people are finding that trauma that they thought was resolved is re-stimulated in their bodies and sometimes even in their images and thoughts and memories. And that, that can be difficult. And, you know, I just, I want to acknowledge, too, that the other big challenge that therapists and clients are having right now is working remotely, working via Zoom. Um, and in a body-centered approach, of course, it's it's challenging to take it online. Mm-hmm. In terms of, um, you know, people listening to this, therapists, a lot of uh, therapists of all kinds listen to this listen to this podcast and uh, survivors as well. But in terms of those therapists, what would you say to them if, if they're interested in uh, you know learning more about SPI and sensory motor psychotherapy and working with the, the body in a sense? What would you say to them? Is it is it mandatory that someone who's interested in working with trauma learn how to work with the body? 
Well, it is for me. I can't imagine working with trauma without without addressing the body because trauma first and foremost affects our body. Um, I, I always think of like if you're falling down the steps, you're not thinking, okay, the railing's to my right. I better hurry up and grab the railing or else I'm going to tumble all the way down to the bottom. Your body reacts much faster instinctively than it possibly could going through your cortex and your thinking mind. So trauma is really stuck in a way in, in a dysregulated nervous system and a, a, a muscular system that's prepared for instinctive defensive responses like cry for help, fight, flight, freeze, faint, feign death, those kinds of responses. So I can't imagine trying to resolve it top down by talking about it. Uh, I can't imagine not working with the body. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, there are people who are, have success working cognitively because as they start to, to work in that way, it kind of has a trickle down effect uh, uh, on, on the nervous system and on the instinctive subcortical brain. I think it's more efficient to work directly with the body and integrate the emotions and the cognition. One of the things that, you know, has come up a lot is uh, a lot of the different ways uh, that people are managing during this time. You know, uh, there was a lot of talk initially, you know, on social media about, well, we're going to have all this time alone or we're going to be, you know, sheltering, sheltering in place. Let's, you know, it's important to, to, to be a, uh, efficient and proficient and learn a new hobby, learn a new skill. And I've also heard a lot of people talking about now that we're spending all this time alone <laughs> with ourselves, a lot comes up and it's not always easy to, you know, I'm with myself. I'm more anxieties coming up or other pot, other aspects of myself that maybe I prefer to hide by, you know, going to the gym or doing X, Y, and Z. Um, it's, it's not always easy to be alone to, to with right. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about that. One is um, we've lost a lot in this pandemic. We've lost our connection. Like you say, the aloneness, we've lost uh, the ability to just go out when we want, whether it's to a bar or a coffee shop, to be with people, to be with our loved ones. So this that is a huge loss. Um, um, and, and a lot of us are feeling uh, lonely. I, and on the other hand, um, this pressure to be productive during this time kind of drives me nuts because there's, a, there's an implicit judgment in that, like, if you're not productive now when you have all this time, you, you don't have good discipline and it's your fault and there's this blame. So and a lot of people are thinking, well, I should be learning a new language. I should be doing things, should be writing that book or whatever. And I would say the most important thing is, is compassion. You know, this emphasis on productivity is a Western capitalist emphasis. And, and it can be really debilitating for some people right now. So there's no one answer for anybody. People respond to this very individually. Some might 
be very successful at learning that new language, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Other people might be beating themselves up because they're not able to do that, and that's that just adds more fuel to the trauma fire. So I, I think the biggest thing is to be gentle, to treat yourself kindly, to to be aware of your responses and take the best care that you can of yourself, you know. Yeah, I mean I I, I really hear that and quite frankly that was something that I found challenging to do. I thought, you know, oh during this time I'll, you know, try to be productive because when this is over, you know, we're still going to have that cultural lens through which many of us are looking through and through which many people are looking at us, you know? And I think as you're saying here to, to, to have that compassion um, for me, it's really holding that compassion and continuing on with that compassion, even when this is over, um, so I, I really appreciate you saying that it's going to be different. How we how we move through this is going to be different for each of us. Mm-hmm. But to have that compassion for how we're doing it is is really important. Yes, I I think so, and I I, I hope that that compassion will extend beyond you know the individual to a, a almost like a felt sense realization that we are truly in this together, which means that the people who don't have the, the even the luxury of having the time in the social isolation, uh, the people who are still even working two and three jobs, because there are people doing that even in the pandemic, um, the single moms who have to go to work and have no one to care for their kids. I hope that we can extend the compassion to those less privileged mm-hmm. and find a way to... Uh, address the effects of systemic oppression on our on our country and on our world yeah i mean i think that's good advice for uh, everyone and but but also for for therapists maybe who uh, haven't yet um you know started studying uh, sensory motor psychotherapy mm-hmm. and for for those people who you know haven't started studying psycho sensory motor psychotherapy what are a couple of things that you might suggest to them as they're working with clients during this time? And even more specifically, as they're doing it, like we're talking here over Zoom or something. Well, I would uh, I would suggest that they go to our website, sensorymotorpsychotherapy.org, and click on the COVID resources. And there's uh, an, a free webinar that has two parts on how to address working through the body via Zoom. The first part is with Bonnie Goldstein and myself, and then the second part I did um, alone just to address some other um, issues. Uh, so there's a lot of information uh, and it's it doesn't cost anything. Um, aside from that, I, I feel like I'm kind of a broken record because I, I feel like a, body awareness for ourselves and our clients is really going to help us here. Mm-hmm. It'll help us keep that arousal in, in the window. So I would suggest maybe that therapists 
start to get curious about their own bodies and how they're holding this and start to be aware of the triggers for their own arousal and their own physical responses. When do they get tight? Uh, and can they trace that to something specific where that started? Or can they be aware of their breath and notice when they're holding the breath or, or over-breathing and starting to hyperventilate? If they can just start to notice those uh, physical phenomena, that's, that's the first step to empower us to, to be able to regulate. And I would also say, I was uh, listening to um, Deb Dana, uh, who works with Steve Porges, who's a good friend of mine on the polyvagal uh, theory. And she had a nice way of, uh, of, of saying, you know, if we look at a continuum where on the one hand, there's that imperative connect, to connect with our others, and then on the other hand, there's also a need for solitude and calmness and self-nourishment and care. Uh, and to start to notice when we're, um, where we are in that continuum and when we're going off of the solitude side into loneliness. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, it's, it's physical. How, how do you notice that? Like, what do you do when you start to isolate and feel lonely? You know, do you start to pull in and is there another action you could make? Could you reach out to a friend or, or over Zoom, for example? So I've appreciated her description of that continuum. Um, what was her name again? Deb Dana. Deb Dana, okay. Um, I'll have her linked up. I'll also have uh, linked up that uh, those COVID series at the SPI uh, uh, website. Um, but, but, just for the, for the benefit of uh, the therapist listening to this, you know, it's interesting when I asked you what you might suggest or advise uh, gently for, for those therapists who are working with clients now, your suggestion was to be mindful of themselves as mm -hmm. therapists. It wasn't something that they were doing for their or doing to or for their client in a sense, right? But to yeah. be aware of uh, noticing and curious about how their body is responding to uh, this situation in a sense that to me is is very interesting and uh i love that whole topic because it really invites us uh, therapists to really look at themselves first right and that's not always the easiest thing to do no no but i think in in, in my work anyway there's a learning kind of from the inside out like if i become aware of my own body and the own, the signals in my own body, I can much more easily help a client. Mm -hmm. If I don't have that awareness, it's just a, an exercise to try to help right. clients tune into their bodies. It has to come authentically from my own, using my own body as a laboratory. Yeah, yeah. That's, to me, what's so exciting about the body. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm in my 70s and I'm still learning from my body constantly. It's such a rich source of information. And, and from there, then I, I, I have that resonance with my clients, even on, on Zoom, we can have that somatic resonance from uh, awareness of my own body. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, Pat, it's been such a treat. I love talking to you. You just, you exude this authenticity and gentleness and compassion. And it's, uh, I love having you on, on, on the podcast. Well, thanks guy. It's been a pleasure and all the best. All right. Thanks everybody. Take care. Okay. Bye. This episode is sponsored by cptsdfoundation.org. And one of the great things about, uh, for me about doing this podcast is that I get to speak to and work with amazing people. And Athena Moberg, the CEO and founder of cptsdfoundation.org, is one of those individuals. This woman is on fire. I got to meet her several months ago here in San Francisco. We had breakfast together and just had a really great talk. And I got to learn about her foundation, and what they're doing. Uh, they provide complex trauma survivors and practitioners with compassionate support, skills, and trauma-informed education. Athena works together with expert practitioners and treatment centers offering daily touch points to anyone currently in trauma therapy or who wants a safe place to come, feel heard and validated between therapy appointments. Some of the resources they offer are uh, daily recovery support, a healing book club. They have free support groups. Uh, they offer also offer this really cool thing where they can uh, send you texts just to encourage you and help you heal on your journey. So check them out at cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. Once again, that's cptsdfoundation.org forward slash trauma therapist podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.